Welcome to Washington Execs Givers of GovCon podcast series, where we highlight the philanthropic efforts within the government contracting community and speak to the leaders spearheading them. Over the next weeks, you'll hear us talk with givers of all kinds as we dig deeper into how and why they're giving back. So thanks for tuning in and enjoy this next episode of Givers of GovCon. And welcome to the Givers Podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. You are the public sector EVP at ICF. What are your focus areas there? Yeah, so ICF, a publicly traded company, been around for a little over 50 years. It's a mix of government and commercial work. I lead the mostly U.S. federal part of that business, which we call public sector. Our focus is largely civilian, although we do have some DOD, but it's really a mix of deep domain expertise in areas like health, social programs, environment, DHS, a number of other areas, along with technology capabilities. Obviously, I think that's sort of uh, table stakes at this point in the government space. But as well as we also have communications, human-centered design, as well as human capital. So to help organizations manage through all the change and all the innovation, which is all great, but it also has a big cost on people as they have to change. So I think we really try to to focus on that balance between domain technology and and the people. And you mentioned health, and I know health is an area you're focusing your philanthropic work in. You and your parents started a nonprofit in North Carolina to support community service. How did that come about? I have to give fair credit. My parents started. I, I, my wife and I have been big supporters, but they've put the sweat into really uh, getting it off the ground. But my parents both grew up in a small county in eastern North Carolina, uh, Pamlico County. And when they were growing up, my mom grew up in a family whose father grew up you know, in the Depression, really, really poor. And he got that opportunity to go to law school because he went into the military as part of World War II. He never really forgot where he came from, and he really impressed upon all his kids the importance of service. And that certainly has guided my mom's whole life. She ended up becoming a pediatrician, went through med school with three kids under the age of five, which still blows my mind that she did that. But even once she started practicing her service, doing service, I mean, as soon as she finished med school, she did a month-long mission in Jamaica. Service has always been really big. We grew up actually in Chesapeake. But once all of us, my siblings and I moved away, she and my dad moved back to where they had grown up. And they weren't ready to retire quite yet, but they were ready to be home. And after practicing for like 20 years in the Hampton Roads area, which isn't a big metropolitan area like D.C., but it's still a pretty big area, moving back to that rural county and seeing the sort of health challenges that are happening there, honestly, even from somebody who grew up there, it blew her mind. She shared some statistics with me that if you look at the health statistics of Pamlico County, which is really no different than many other rural counties across the United States, if you didn't tell somebody where it was and you just looked at the statistics, it wouldn't look that different from a third world country. And on top of that, in their county at least, and I don't know how broadly true this is, but I think it probably is true of a lot of places, 60%, percent of kids in the county are being raised by someone other than a parent. A lot of that's grandparents, But if you just think about the challenges that that puts on a community, the challenges that puts on kids as they're trying to grow up, my mom was like, we have to do something. There's no community center. It's a small county, can't afford a community center. So a small car dealership in the middle of the county had gone out of business and there was this huge building just sitting empty in the the county. So 
my parents ended up purchasing the property and starting up this nonprofit. It's called HeartWorks, heartworksnc.org. It really was all about helping provide a better base for the kids that are growing up in the county. So there's an after-school program. There's a five-star daycare that's designed to be affordable. A lot of grants they've got to support these things, as well as you know, folks that have donated. They've got some mental health counseling, and it's not focused on individuals. It's focused on families. So have families come together and help them understand how to interact in ways that make everybody feel better and help these kids really get off on the right track. And it's really grown over the years. They've just recently completed a big renovation of the facility. You would look at it now and never know that it used to be a big brick car dealership, but it's really made a difference. It's not a big county again, but the, the kids now have so much. They're, they're, they're definitely starting off closer to where their peers in the bigger areas of North Carolina are starting off. And uh, so that really has been, you know, seeing that whole thing, understanding sort of where my family came from and understanding the, how fortunate we are to be in the position that we are. It was really important to my wife and I to help support that effort. Yeah. How did you get involved? I mean, you saw your parents do this and did you feel, I'm sure you have a lot of competing priorities and whatnot. So why did you decide that this was something that you were going to focus on? For all important context here, my wife was born in India. Neha is her name. And they moved here when she was like four years old. And her parents are wired very similarly. You understand how fortunate they are to have had the, the opportunities they've had here in the United States and coming here with four daughters. And they're all very successful now and obviously very proud parents. But this whole idea of service was very big with them too. So my wife and I have always felt like as we've had the opportunity to give back more, a balance between sort of helping at the local level is important, but also having that global perspective as well. So I think that support of HeartWorks was definitely sort of more the local component. And we also do some smaller things here locally in the D.C. area, but that's the big that's the big thing that we, we really want to support. I think there's a connection to where my people are from, but also I think seeing that more immediate impact. You know, I think the other side of that has been our support for the, the Gilling School of Public Health at, at the University of North Carolina, where it's where we met. It's where we both have degrees in public health. And I think that global perspective was really important to us as well. So I think that's kind of how we ended up focusing in those areas. And you mentioned that your mom always had this sense of service, right? Do you think you learned from her? Did she instill the importance of giving back to others or helping others? Oh, absolutely. It wasn't always the most fun thing to be going around the week before Christmas and going to some really underprivileged neighborhoods in the Hampton Roads area and taking kids Christmas gifts. At the time, I don't know that I fully appreciated it, but looking back, I really, really appreciated it because it just, it just reinforced that the way that we've grown up isn't what everybody gets. And it's important to understand how lucky we are. I think part of our job for having those gifts is to be able to help lift others up. And I think that was 100% that they impressed that upon us, both through words and through deed, for sure. What do you think has been the biggest lesson learned personally from working with HotWorks? A lot of it, if you think about what's happened politically in the United States over the last 10 years, say, I, I think it's helped me understand some of the frustration in rural areas in the United States and sort of how it's manifested itself in ways that are not Great. I mean, it's certainly been a hard time the last 10 years, but there's a lot more happening in rural areas that I think those of us who grew up in suburban or urban areas just aren't aware of. And I think it's really helped me understand that 
there's more needed to be done to help these communities try to have at least some degree of a level playing field with areas that are just more well resourced. That's certainly part of it. I think just understanding that divide and, and understanding there are things that even if they're relatively small in the big scheme of things that we can do to help. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably the biggest thing other than just sort of continuing to reinforce how fortunate many of us are. You know, every time I visit down there and get to meet the kids and, and to see the things that they find so incredible are things that we take for granted. It's eye-opening. I think there's still a lot of work to be done. Are there any common misconceptions you come across when it comes to people talking about rural areas that you kind of help correct? The road to hell was paved with trying to correct people on things that they haven't experienced. I think I, I try not to spend too much time doing that because it's just my perspective, right? I mean, it doesn't mean my perspective is right. I, everything you see is, is based on where you sit, right? So certainly as people are interested and I've certainly had an opportunity to take friends down to see the county. It's a beautiful place, but then you also get to see that there's all these other things that are challenged for the folks down there. I think it's more as people want to talk about it, want to engage in it. See, it's not easy to be a... Uh, proselytizer about some of these issues to think it, you, know, you can really turn people off by making it seem like they don't get it. I think it's more just when you have an opportunity. I think, you know, growing up in our family, we enjoy a rigorous debate. I think everybody that I know at work certainly knows that about me. I think that's the way I think just sort of having open, honest conversations about things and sharing your perspective. And then at the same time, you got to be a good listener. I think part of influencing people is listening to people, which, you know, I think is maybe counterintuitive sometimes, but I think that's as probably as important as anything. Active listening is a critical yeah. skill these days. Yeah. How can people help if they want to get involved with hard work? I know that you're looking for donations, but also volunteers I saw on the website. Unless they're in Eastern North Carolina, probably volunteering would be, I would say, a little challenging. But certainly financial support is always the easiest in a lot of ways. And it's the easiest to point in the right direction. But yeah, I would point them to the website. I think there's definitely other ways to get involved. They have a fundraiser every fall that is actually housed at the facility. I think the latter half of September. So there's certainly there'll be more information about that on the website. But yeah, it's a really great, great, great organization. I'm really, I'm really proud of all the folks that have put so much hard work into it. And it's just not my family. I mean, there's a whole crew of people there that are working there every day and just doing great work for those kids. For someone who has more of a burning passion and wants to start their own charity or foundation, do you have any tips, any considerations for them? <laughs> they probably have a good attorney to help you get it set up right. My mom, both of her brothers are attorneys, so they had some good help there early on. Having a clear vision is really, really important because it's easy to, to see problems and want to try to fix everything. And I think that's where my dad is really valuable for my mom, where she's like a really big thinker and in the best possible way, a total bleeding heart. And he helps focus that amazing energy into having more impact. I mean, they're a really amazing combination. Focus is absolutely critical, but I think it all starts with a passion. You've got to really, really care about it because it's hard. It's really hard, but it's- What's hard. the hardest part? Just getting that initial momentum going. It's like starting a company, right? I mean, I think just once you get it going, it doesn't mean it gets easy, but it gets easier. It, everything doesn't feel like an existential threat to, you know, are you really going to survive this? I think when you're just getting it off the ground, it is in some ways a business. You have to get the cash flow. You have to be able to pay your bills. You have to be able to find people that can help support it. If it's, if it's going to be staffed, how do you find good staff? And, and that's a challenge, especially in a small town where a lot of the young folks who grew up move away because there aren't many jobs down there. So, you, you know, I mean, I think those kinds of challenges for them have been particularly, they found some really special people that have helped make it work. But 
you know, it's like anything. I mean, you surround yourself with good people. You've got a clear idea of where you want to go. You're passionate about it. You've got a pretty good chance for success, I think. What have you been able to leverage from your professional role into this side of your life? Yeah, that's probably a lot more of my work with uh, with a school of public health at UNC. I've been part of the alumni board there for, I think, three or four years now. I'm coming up on four years. That is a lot of ways a lot closer to my day-to-day. Yeah, that's where I went to graduate school. My wife went to graduate school. We hire a lot of people from the school. A lot of the issues they work on are the same kinds of issues that ICF works on. I think part of what drew me to ICF is it's a very mission-driven organization. I think consulting in general probably wouldn't have been as attractive to me. I think I went into public health partly because of this interest in in wanting to do things that mattered and and give back. And I felt like I could go to a place and do that at ICF, which has been there for almost 25 years. So I think it's pretty rare these days. I think people look at me like I have a horn when I tell them I've been at the same job for almost 25 years, but it's a great place. I mean, I think, you know, nowhere is perfect, but it's a, it's a group of really wonderful people that want to do good work and want to do great work for our clients and carrying that over with the school of public health. I think a lot of what I've been able to do there, I mean, we financially supported the school, but also being someone who could help upcoming graduates think about what kinds of jobs might be out there, helping them network, just helping, you know, the Dean will come to the alumni board sometimes just want feedback, providing sort of perspective from my case, from the industry perspective. And part of the school's goal is to make sure that the graduates can find good work. That's been great. But one of the things that my wife and I did do is we've set up a scholarship for a graduate student in maternal and child health, which was really the, the area that my wife works in, but it also connects really nicely to the work that my mom's always been really passionate about. We started that up this year. It's partially need-based. It's designed to preferably go to underrepresented minorities. And this was the first year of it. And we got to meet the woman who received it. And it was tears all around. My mom, my mom was able, because it's not, we did it in my mom's name. She was so honored by the whole thing and, and really just wanted to understand all the things this woman wanted to do. And she's from South America. And, and part of what that's really informs the way she thinks about public health. And it's been so, so wonderful to be able to to help somebody in some little bit, make a bigger difference. And I think that's the global perspective, right? So you can do immediate things yourself, but if you can influence people, that is very much the multiplier effect. And I think that's been so, so gratifying. And how did that idea come about? How did you decide that that was going to be, you know, the focus of the scholarship program? My mom has early signs of Alzheimer's at this point. And I think part of it is I wanted her to see in a very, you know, I can tell her, but I wanted her to see in a very tangible way, the impact that she had on all of us. And while she still was in a place where it would be meaningful to her, I think that's kind of where the idea originally was right after her diagnosis that I started thinking about how I could really you know, honor her while she's still with us. I think a lot of times people don't get the opportunity to have people say to them the things that they really think about them. And I think it gave a chance for that. She's a really special person. I think that was part of, you know, just some small way of thanking her for everything she did for all of us. But it also connected really closely to the work my wife does. She works for a nonprofit in women's health and supporting that department. And my wife having been an immigrant, I think, and helping support minority populations was uh, really, really, I think, important to her. And uh, I think it was really those combinations of things that just sort of made it seem like the right time. I love that. I think it's a beautiful way to honor your mom and just pay tribute to her while she's with us. As I mentioned to you before we officially started this interview, I'm in Sweden right now because my mom has cancer. So on a daily basis, I think of how amazing my mom is. And 
if I could do more for her. I don't know if I would start a scholarship program, <laughs> but I'm doing my best to make sure that she knows that she's loved and I appreciate everything she's done for me. So I think it's what you've done is just lovely. It feels like a small token for somebody who's done so much for all of us, but it's been really nice that I've been able to share some of that, some of that with her for sure. Yeah, I just think of all the things that I put my mom through as a teenager, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to that, but maybe that's another. One thing that I always ask when I meet people, or especially on this podcast, is what was your dream job when you were a kid? Huh. It's a good question. I really always loved numbers and science. And I went to school, and my dad was a physics major, sort of has a job that was a little bit more engineering, but back in the, when he finished college, late sixties, it wasn't as specialized as it is now. So you could get engineering jobs with a physics degree. My dad, in a lot of ways, always been, I've always idolized my dad. And I think I went into school, I was like, all right, my dad was a physics major. I'm going to be a physics major. So I spent the first two and a half years at UNC as a physics major. And I really got to where it got so theoretical. And every day it was like, we'd start class with one formula on the board. And at the end of class, it'd be a different formula. And we just spent all time going from one to the other. And it just didn't seem as concrete and tangible to me as I liked. And I sort of fell into public health and environmental science just because that was a way to do more hands-on science while without leaving UNC. My parents both went there. I think it's a place that's always been very special to me. But then when I got over there, that's really when that this passion for public health and for environment really, really got started. And, you know, it's funny, but when I finished grad school, I thought I was probably work for a few years and go back and get my PhD. I just want to be a scientist. The idea of doing sales and people management and all that, I just like to make, shut my door, get work with my numbers, work with my computers. I'd be happy as a clam. And uh, over time, I just had different opportunities to try things. I was like, oh, wow, well. Business element actually is just solving problems. That's kind of fun. And managing people, I get to work with all these great people and they care about what I think. You know, who doesn't like that? So I wasn't one of these people who like always dreamed of being like an astronaut or, or whatever. I just, I kind of knew what I liked doing. And I found, and so a lot of it really comes down to critical thinking and problem solving. And I have found at ICF so many different ways to apply those things in ways that, I mean, if you had told me, 25 years ago that I would be doing what I'm doing now, I would think you were really off your rocker. Like there's just no way. Not, and honestly, if you would ask anybody at that time who knew me, they would also say, yeah, you're crazy. No way that guy ever does that. But I think I always just had an open mind about things and never was afraid to try things and fail. Cause part of that is being a scientist. You know, that failure is like 90% of the job. You know, you, all these experiments you try, they don't work. Well, okay, let's try again. Let's find something. Maybe we'll find something that does. So yeah, never really, never really had like one clear North Star for my career. I was just sort of following what I like doing. And with that idea that I, I needed to be doing something that was you know, impactful, something that was important. That was always a through line. That was for sure something that was important. Yeah. I mean, you are having fun and you're doing impactful work. So that's a winning formula right there. It's been great. It's been a really, really great ride. I feel very fortunate. Yeah. 25 years. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> So you joined ICF not very long after college, I'm guessing? Straight out of grad school. My first was my first job out of grad school, yeah. And you yeah. say, you were like, this is so great, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, but it's always been different. It's not been the same job for 25 years. It's yeah. been probably 15 different jobs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what's made it fun. I think folks that go into consulting, yeah, I think 10 to have maybe shorter attention spans. <laughs> 
So I think I'm happier now than I would have been going back into graduate school and getting a PhD and doing research because I think that's people who like to go really, really deep, but maybe not quite as wide. Not always, but generally, I think that's true. Whereas I've got to sort of go an inch deep in a million different things. And that's been so fun. I just, it's because I'm always learning new stuff and getting to work with different interesting people. And lastly, but not least, are there any HeartWorks related events or news you would like our audience to know about? I know that there is a fundraiser in September. Anything else that you would like to highlight? That's our only real big event every year. Other than that, it's really all about just you know, helping those the kids. I think obviously they're coming up on the summer when they have summer programs. You know, a lot of these kids, when school's not around, they still need to have somewhere to go. So it's certainly a time of year where additional support is really helpful. They can do more for those kids. But it's not a very event-driven organization. It's very much uh, very lean, mean, and focused on doing everything they can for those kids. Do you have a dream for the organization? I think my parents' big goal is that it can live on past them. I think that's probably, and they're both in their 70s now and still have a long ways to go, we all have. But I think that's the big thing that, that they've been working really hard on and we're trying to help them think about how to keep this going and make it fully sustainable. Some of that's getting access to different grants and things like that, that the federal government or the state gives out, but also it's, it's building up a, a bigger donor base. And I think when you're focused in a small county, that can be a bit more of a challenge because the, you know, the folks that are aware of it are more limited. So I think that's honestly, that's, if that could be done, that would make all of us so, so, so happy. Well, thank you, Mark. It's been such a pleasure talking with you today and learning a little bit about your background and the giving back that you're doing. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for the invite.